I think that in the space of true innovation and creativity, it's about sharing, it's about building, and it is about giving credit. But I don't think that we need to give credit in, in the sense if, if we're simply taking a framework that might have even already existed and they adapted versus someone has created a truly incredible way of learning and to like, I'm gonna put that in my book now or something, like that's that sketchy. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast, member of the Education Podcast Network. Today, we have on Michael Cohen, a.k.a. the Tech Rabbi, fresh off his, and I mean fresh, off his ISTE keynote. I think we recorded this maybe two hours after he had just finished. And I like this episode because, uh, one, there's a lot of things that uh, Michael and I share in common. We get into some of our influences some of his styling, and also just some of our concerns of where education is or maybe not is going. So this was a great conversation, very candid. I think you're going to love his work. He's got a book coming out very soon. Uh, also, he gives all of his links on all the different things uh, on you know the, his tech ride-by spot and everything else. So take some notes, share this one, and I think you're going to really, really thoroughly enjoy it. Michael Cohen, tech ride-by. Let's do it. All right, got a special exclusive. I have got fresh off the ISTE 18 stage, Michael, Tech Rabbi Cohen. Michael, how you doing, man? I'm feeling great. You feel like a million bucks right now. Yeah, I think I'll feel even more like a millionaire when I start to hear from the teachers at this amazing conference that I did it and it worked, because that's what it's about. Yeah, well, and then your follow-up session was the... Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So I'm joined by Michael Cohen. Uh, we are... Uh, I guess in some ways we're, we're, we're soulmates in the sense that we, we see a problem and we want to do something about it. And um, full disclosure, I've known you now for two-ish years. And in that time, it has been fun because Michael is, is doing it. And, and he gets it at a conceptual level, and he's also been working at a school and starting to do these things, and it's been a breath of fresh air to see it. And uh, you then were asked to, to keynote ISTE 18, one of the keynotes, and you, you, you did it today. Let's unpack some of the messages of what you're going for and why it's so vital for right now. Definitely. I'm a designer by trade, and before I got into education, that's what I did. I helped solve problems for nonprofits, brand problems, storytelling problems, and as I segued into education, I realized that there's an opportunity to use design as a way of solving problems in education. And not just problems that there's a problem in education, but there's problems in the world, there's opportunity in the world to to do things, and we need to give our students and ourselves the space to do that. And I received an email a little while ago, and I opened the keynote for this because this this email literally blew my mind. I had a classic epic student who top GPA, only honors in AP courses, award winning in so many different ways, editor in chief, this and that, and he has no creative confidence to do Mm. anything. Mm. And he reaches out to me and he says he has this idea, but he knows he can't do it. Mm. And it might even just be a bad idea, but that I never dismiss creativity. 
And that, that really captured why I do what I do every day and why it's so important for every teacher to... Well, just the fact that he knew that you were going to foster it and not laugh at it yeah. is the first... Or shoot it down. Right, right, right. And so walk me through that. What ended up going down? So I met with the student, and, and I have this entrepreneur studio. You know, it's inspired in many ways by the work that you do. And so many students, want to, they want to create an app and have a startup around an app. So he shares with <laughs> me this, this real problem that he has, which is that he hates going clothes shopping. And he doesn't do it often. He's not, you know, someone who's necessarily super into fashion. But he just knows that if he believes he wears, let's say, a size 32 pants, mm-hmm. not all brands are created equal. And so he'll have pants that sometimes are too big and don't fit. And he's like, how do we, how do we fix this problem? And, and not be custom tailor about it. You know, mm-hmm. I just I want to know what my perfect measurements are so I can find the perfect set of clothing. And he walks me through this, you know, deeper into this scenario. And I'm thinking in my head, like, this has to exist already. But I want him to figure that out on his own. Because one of my mottos in my work, especially in the entrepreneur studio with the high school students, is before there was Facebook, there was MySpace. Yeah. And they don't know what MySpace is for the most part, so it's kind <laughs> of like really just a nostalgia thing for me. But it's to show them that if you use a process of research and discovery to find out that, yes, that already exists, should you not do something more? Mm-hmm. Should you not find a way to improve on that and create something regardless if it exists already? Mm-hmm. And that's important with creativity because, you know, I shared in this in the slide deck, we think creativity is is creating something from nothing. Right. But many times it's, oh, it's turning something yeah. into something more. Yep. Well, not quoting the Beatles too much, but, you know, I need love because there's nothing that hasn't been done. And, and uh, yeah, it's your spin on it. Or to also quote South Park. Simpsons did it. Um, there's uh, hopefully there's some fans out there. Anyway, uh, no, I, I love that because you know getting that creative confidence, um, and, and there's a lot of students that that lack it just because they're like, what I'm about to say is probably not the right answer, so don't make fun. Um, but here it is, and then starting to like just start to in some ways think it out loud, um, and then start building on it, and then all of a sudden you get that, hey yeah, hey yeah. However, what I just said, I'm about to contradict myself. One of the hardest things, though, to get started is to get started. Um, so many times, there's some kids like, yeah, but, and I can't do that because, and that's been the thing that's been driving me insane, is that, um, well, it could work out for you, but it won't work out for me, and excuse, excuse, excuse. How, you know, what are some things you've seen to get people past that? So step one is just start Mm -hmm. and you need a little bit of prep. You know, I shared the, the explore approach of exploration isn't a free for all. You have to have the right tools and resources, the right team, the right mindset. You got to be ready to embark on a journey and believe that this is an important life journey of, of building creative confidence and uh, creative courage. So I shared a couple different activities in my breakout session today and what i think is cool about them is that none of them are my own but they're out there they're available they don't cost any money because people in innovative spaces naturally want to share and true innovation excuse me true innovation is about sharing and collaborating and building upon others 
So Stanford's design school, the D school idea, right? So I, I shared one thing that is a really cool project and I did it in my session and they posted it on my educated by design hashtag uh, that I use for a lot of the work I do. Um, 30 circle challenge developed by Bob McKim, founder of the design school at Stanford. And you have three minutes to turn as many of the 30 circles into a recognizable object. And it's less about, it's less about your artistic ability. And it's more about the conversation after that ensues, which is who drew a baseball? Hands go up. Who can, who started with the baseball and then drew as many sports balls as they could? Who drew something that I didn't list. And one student's like a billiard ball, one of the, one of the uh, participants, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. And I said, who broke out of the circle? Who consumed the circle to solve that recognizable object problem and broke out of the lines? And a couple raised their hand. I said, who hated this? And be honest. And you had one or two. I think they were, I, th- I think they were more, but they were like, I don't want to be that one, you know. But it's important because creativity is difficult. It's like running a marathon. You have to, t- to train. You have to condition. You have to run a marathon and do bad to figure out how to do better. And I have, you know, a bunch of different activities that I've either, you know, repackaged or created in a way that's more K-12 scalable. But that's what it's about. It's about coming up with ways to have those moments of brainstorm and collaboration. And then, yeah, let's build rockets and satellites and wind tunnels and, you know, prototype and engineer and start startup companies and all these things. But how do you get there? You know, everyone wants to be the Airbnb or the Steve Jobs or, you know, they want to be the Casey Neistat or you, you, you can't use your you can't use someone else's middle as your beginning because then you're just going nowhere. That's a good point you brought up because I, in several cases, have been like, um, in some ways you're like, okay, it's it's a start, so I'm happy about it. But in other ways, it's like the and I and mockery is flattery, um, but you know everybody looking like Casey on YouTube. Uh, again, I get it. He was he's beautiful, right? Beautiful videos, but then at least start finding small pockets of, you know, what is your angle has been, is obviously difficult for people. So in, in one way, I'm like, I'm excited that you've now found that thing. You want to do a YouTube channel, but when are you going to make it you um, has been obviously the challenge. However, um, I, back to my previous point, just starting somewhere is, is a great start. So one of the keys that I've always leaned on is then just reflecting on it. Okay. Now that you start your Casey, like if we're going to continue the metaphor, now that you've got your nice stat esque looking channel, what's new, what's up, what's, you know, how, how can we make a, you know, you be you has been, uh, obviously the challenge when you get them to that level where they're starting to realize or look at how do we make small changes? What kind of, um, tips are you saying to get them to get there faster and want to like, yeah, I'm going to put my stamp on this. There's different ways for students to start to document and, and kind of assess where they're at. And I have this, this, uh, like self-awareness kind of action plan for growth that I, I saw and I adapted from a, from a Xerox, which sounds kind of lame, but for anyone that, you know, is familiar with, you know, innovation before Google and even Apple, there was Xerox Park. 
And I, I pull things from Xerox's innovation space, and, and I like to pull things from corporate and, and repurpose them because it's out there. And you know, if you put a Word doc on the internet, I'm not gonna steal it and say it's my own, but I will repackage it in a way that becomes my own. And I think that's, that's the build on where we don't have to worry about like, you know, are we stealing or are we building upon, right? But I don't wanna digress too much on that because what's no, the point? Actually, I, I, I do wanna go down that rabbit hole a bit. Uh, just because, and we had this discussion last night off air, but like there's sometimes people that it's funny that, that, that they see this as almost a competition and you took my thing when in reality, I'm like, no, we're, we're all just building on this. Uh, there's this kind of weird chippy competitiveness with some. And I, I always have a hard time with that because I'm like, whoa, wait, wait a second. We're all building to that greater reality. Um, how have you made, uh, how should I put this in a nice way? How, how do you play nice when people are territorial? Yeah. So I'm, I'm always about finding the light in the darkness. And I don't pretend that negativity and, and, and challenge doesn't exist, but I'm always looking how to fix it. I'm always looking how to build upon things. So it's one thing for me to say, okay, well, I saw a incredible uh, documentary uh, kind of process of a group of uh, of, of professional developer, um, I'm losing my train here, uh, um, consultants, right? And they're, they're designing these incredible STEM-oriented experiences, but like next-level stuff. So they have created a soccer field where the students have programmed Sphero to engage in a soccer game against defense, and in the case, defense moving. Now, I can repurpose that but can I call that my own? I think that's very different than seeing a document on the internet that's asking a series of questions about, you know, what are you good at? What do you struggle with? You know, what, 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 do, what, what do others see your mm -hmm. strengths? And then, you know, re, reframing the questions, rebuilding, adding new questions, but really just gaining the framework. Mm -hmm. I think frameworks are totally mm -hmm. open to go. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to give people credit when you're using what they're doing. I think, you know, Ella Ben-Ur has her uh, innovator's compass and she always tells me, I wanna hear that you're using it. That is why I designed it. I didn't yeah. design it to keep it all to myself. So I think that in the space of true innovation and creativity, it's about sharing, it's about building, and it is about giving credit. But I don't think that we need to give credit in, in the sense if, if we're simply taking a framework that might've even already existed and they adapted versus Mm -hmm. someone has created a truly incredible way of learning and yeah. to like I'm going to put that in my book now or something like that's that sketchy well or even like I, anytime I, I do a breakout or a keynote I will always darn near every time mention Tina Selig oh yeah uh, I and thanks to you, her. I know who she is, and I, I shouted her out today. She is incredible <laughs> and inspiring, and if she's listening to this right now, we have to meet one day. Cause she will be, I promise you. you, you Tina, yeah. connect. Uh, no, but I look every time, I'm like, by the way, not my words, but in Tina's framework, you know, especially the whole, just the basic concepts, you know, between the difference between imagination, creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship. This, those subtleties, I'm like, by the way, the first person that really brought that in my attention, the subtleties was Tina. And I don't think she minds it. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, that building upon, but also giving reverence to, I think, is that healthy balance. Um, and my gosh, this is that, you know, that Peter Diamandez mindset of abundance. 
Um, I don't think Tina is like, oh, so you were speaking at ISTE today, so I can't because you used my words. No, I think she's like, good for you. There is so many opportunities to be able to work with people in this arena that, you know, it, it's it, people need to start adapting and, and start going, which is, again, why, you know, my gosh, when we met a couple years ago and how excited I am for you to start, you know, obviously just killing these things. Well, bad metaphor, just to start, you know, start, you know, doing all these things that um, it's just so exciting to see. And the thing that I'm also just going to be excited about is your transparency, which actually we're going to we're going to switch a little bit now to, to the fact that you, you know, you're doing video, uh, you're being, you know, uh, really upfront with with what you're doing. Um, tell tell her by the importance of transparency and even maybe doing video and kind of sharing what you're doing. So this is all a learning process for everybody. And anyone that says that it's not, like, you, you don't hear from those people. And, you know, for, for me, I, I connect with a lot of different incredible people in different industries. And why they are successful is because they don't believe that life is linear. And they believe that they are a lifelong learner. And that's, that's the critical piece. I think that I've spent an inordinate amount of time trying to put out high quality work and reinvent the wheel when really it just is about sharing good, accurate, and hopefully meaningful content with others so that they can do something with it. And the more I focus on that and focus on others and focus on trying to help educators and designers and and just anyone who's listening, then I succeed. But when it becomes something where I, it must be perfect because it's my face on the video or the so then I just waste time. And it, those those videos don't even necessarily uh, do as well. But I think it's it's you know, and it's not even about you know. Gary Vee says the one view, right? If you're okay with not having like, look, I, I don't have a huge YouTube channel with thousands of subscribers and thousands of views, but the right people see my content. And interestingly enough, I, I enjoy the fact that he even said, he's like, you know, for some people who have been following me for a while, they'll unfollow me. Like Gary repeats himself a lot. And he says, you know, if you've gotten my message, hey, see ya. That's cool. Like now go now go for and do. Uh, so, I, yeah, we both have, we share the same reverence for him. Although I wanted to do this. So there's there's a lot of people that are coming across people like, like us. Weird. And uh, they're like, all right, who are your influences? Where are, you, where are you getting from? So I started off with Tina. Now you go. Tina Seelig, Stanford, T-S-E-E-L-I-G on Twitter. Now your turn. John Maida, uh, which is, uh, uh, I'd like to pretend like I memorized his Twitter. Um, <laughs> John Maida. So he's super awesome. Um, yeah, J-O-H-N-M-A-E-D-A. He was at MIT Media Lab, and now he works for the parent company for WordPress as their chief of design. And what inspired you uh, from him? He breaks down the simplicity of design in an incredible way and breaks down the three types of design, design thinking, which is human-centered, classical design, which is the chairs we're sitting in, and then computational, which is my phone keeps telling me that there's a minor update to improve. Mm -hmm. And those ways of just incredible interface with education is mm -hmm. something that like I've drawn from him. Mm -hmm. And you know, he, he's a distant mentor. I've had a, an opportunity to engage with him you know, over video. Mm -hmm. and 
yeah, he gets me just totally inspired with the work he does. Okay. Who else? And by the way, like a lot of times, I'll even say, I'm like, I'll mention a Tim Ferriss and people will give me a blank look. So even this may be people that are obvious to us, but there may be people out there going, I've never heard of Peter Diamandes. Yeah. So give me another. So can we both just take Gary Vee and meet in the middle? I mean, he's incredible. <laughs> I can't help myself. It's, yeah, he yeah. is just super, super inspiring. Which, full disclosure, he's a bit opinionated. Yeah. Drops super. a lot of F-bombs, so. Yeah, which I'm a rabbi, so it's always awkward um, to, like, <laughs> pitch him. But I've kind of just gotten over it because if you can get past that and yeah. not listen to it on the car ride with your kids until they're, you know, adults that make their own decisions. Yeah then you're going to get incredible gems. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. No, I, uh, so, okay. So we got Gary. We've got, uh, I guess, technically, I mentioned Tim Ferriss and Peter Diamandis, although I think Peter Diamandis is probably the, uh, yeah, he's, I don't think, uh, as well known. Um, But uh, let's see, I will throw out, let's see. uh, Okay, I'll I'll have it at a more, um, conceptual level well and probably a celebrity as well but dan pink yeah gotta throw him on the pile he's 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 awesome he's awesome and i love his books yeah um i'm even just my my own book as i'm trying to get this thing done and ready for the publisher to to start ripping it apart and rebuilding it is you know his toolkit at the end of drive versus like quick which page was that one great idea and like never finding it or wasting time finding it versus like the end so shout out to him because i definitely will be um using that toolkit approach in my own book of how to draw from the book reference the book but give you a mini book at the end of let's do this stuff right now let's do this again that's drive He's also got yeah. several other good books, but you're right. Although scary, his Free Agent Nation book, which was what, 1998, is shockingly accurate now. Oh, shockingly accurate. I got to check that one out. Uh, okay, let's 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 go with one other person to follow for, for you to you know start getting into the stuff. Um, I'm gonna go Naveen Jain. Oh, nice. That's a new one. For me. Uh, Naveen's he's a good guy. He's one of those. Uh, well, actually, he's. One of those that partnered up with Peter Dimendez does that Global X Prize, tries to do well by doing good kind of thing. So uh, absolutely inspirational on that end. Okay, here's and, and by the way, you already used Drive, but what is that if somebody's like, okay, I really want to start digging into some innovation uh, at a conceptual level, what is the first book you grab? What I wish I knew when I was 20. Weird. This has become the, the Tina Seliga Mutual Admiration Society. That is the most gifted book I've ever given. Yeah. I give that away uh, as, as usually college graduates. Interesting. Yeah. It's, 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 a, mind, it's a mind-blowing book. It, I, and, yeah, I mean, words cannot describe how accurate and powerful but applicable. Like, it, it's not just like, oh, that's an interesting idea. It's like, I, I am going to do stuff differently now. That's how powerful it is. Wow. That my wife would give you a full. That's her favorite too. I, ironically enough, same author. I was going to go with Ingenious, although I also like Creativity Rules. But uh, yeah, this is now just getting shameless. This is Tina, we're sorry. This is. I'm sure she appreciates it. So, um, okay, that's your one book. Okay, then then let's go one more because we have to do something other than Tina Selig. Oh, man, what is on? Okay, so not okay. So we got Tina Seelig. I can't do a Gary V book, even though it's his stuff is great. Um, and we already said the Drive book. Yeah. Um, oh yes. Okay. 
the crossroads mm. between should and must. Oh, I've never for, read this. Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah. So the crossroads, crossroads between should and must. So this book is incredible. So Ella Luna is the author, and she was a, she was working in Silicon Valley, working for a tech company, and decides. I mean, I want to be an artist. I mean, she was an artist, but like, I want to be an artist, not just someone who does art. And she has to make a decision and she goes with this flow and she tells this whole story and it's incredibly illustrated. And there's a soul. It's not just like the text on the page in a shape that's based on the page shape. It has a life to it and there's full spread quotes and watercolor. It's incredible. And it's not about being an artist. It's about figuring out that sweet spot where you have to love what you do and you have to believe that the world needs that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you can get paid for it. I mean, mm-hmm. really, hopefully, because you know what? We can't eat paint and yeah. we can't eat Monopoly money. You know, we, we have to make money. That's part of the way the world works. But you know, you, you listen to these, these business podcasts and you know different content you hear these people like oh i make four hundred thousand dollars a year and i hate my life every day yeah or you know what i make fifty thousand dollars a year and i wake up every single day smiling because i'm gonna go do what i love see i had that conversation with a, a let's just say a typical gen z um a little bit different attitude than a millennial uh, i have found and this is just total observation got no data to prove it i have seen gen z a little more entrepreneurial a little more action motivated now mind you i think millennials have been dealt a bad deal of goods and i feel bad about this i'm not bashing on millennials not in any way shape or form however in a similar millennial type of way we were having this discussion that this particular gen z person was like well my dad's always on me about you know hustle resilience grind but he says, it's what I have to hustle towards. He says, you know, my dad's like, look, you stick with the one job. You, you hopefully, if you're lucky enough to get a job at a good corporation, you stick it out to your 60 and then you can retire and then you can have your fun. And so particular Gen Z is saying like, wait, wait, wait a second. You're telling me the best, healthiest, most fun years of my life I have to suffer through. I have to get through. And then if I like just don't like my life for the next 40 years, then I can enjoy myself. He's like, dad, I'd rather be a barista. I'm holding my laugh right now. I know you were typical. It's classic. It's real. And it is, it's depressing. The only thing that also depresses me is this person said, I'd rather be a barista. What scares me is I think baristas, and I could be wrong, but may have a five year runway before it's completely automated where no one will care that you have some cool stories in, 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 you know, and are really a nice barista. They just want their coffee and it can be done by a machine. So I'm like, okay, that's cool, but fine. Maybe something a little more future proof. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, the world the world will be automated in an incredible way. And I was talking with Andy Weir, you know, the the author of of Artemis and and The Martian uh, backstage before the keynote, and he, he was talking about like the the neurological structure of these AI uh, machines. And I said to him, like, you know, you're basically gonna have doctors. For robots, that that will become yes. a new field yes. of medicine, which is crazy to think about. Well, because everybody thinks that. Well, I'm I'm future proof because I I am a doctor, and and like you know I'm not a and no offense to 
people at grocery lines. But, you know, right now the thing that we see the most on automation is self-checkout. So I have people like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm recession, I'm, I'm future proof. And, and uh, gosh, and we both share this reverence for like Kurzweil. And they're going, uh, no, it's quicker than you think. Uh, a matter of fact, some of the ones that, and, and not trying to harken back the movie Wally, but like people that really thrive on creativity and entertainment actually have the longest runway, it seems. So uh, I, I think that's why you and I both are driven by we're seeing this and we listen to people like, not that we're taking commands, but we listen to people like Ray Kurzweil that are like looking at their watch and going, we're running out of time. Um, this is this is serious stuff. Uh, and so we're when we're splitting hairs over, you know, if your SAT was two points higher, you, again, this is a visual, non-visual podcast. You're there shaking your head. You know, that's that's the things that's driving us nuts. Yeah, it's and and you know, one of the most interesting videos that I've watched from people in in creative and business spaces about about colleges. You know, the Casey Neistat Gary V video about college, and they both take yeah certain stance. Gary's super extreme and she's I don't agree with him. And I think he's he's happy to hear people not agree with him. Yeah. Casey Neistat takes a very middle ground approach. Very measured, yeah. And for me, you know, look, I did undergrad, I have a BFA in art. I did my masters in education. And I think for specialists, you have to have that that piece mm-hmm. of, of, of that level of challenging and, and complex learning experiences. But to say that you have to go to college and that you have to do that because it's always worked mm-hmm. is putting a lot of my friends and a lot of some of my older friends' children mm-hmm. in crazy amounts of debt yeah. and with no actual roadmap into a profession. Yeah. I have a friend that has a, a degree from a top 50 university in creating um, the, 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 the niche of the environmental degree was in environmentally safe ski resorts. How many ski resorts are built a year? How many ski resorts are built a decade? Yeah. Like, I don't care if you're cashing out once every 10 years and you're making, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you're not, I, don't, I don't even know. I can even project, but it's just weird. Yeah. Like, are we going into debt for these cool experiences or for bumper stickers and, and alumni license plates? Mm-hmm. Or are we doing it because we actually believe we can change the world and yeah. fix the world that, that needs fixing? Well, and just the default um, answer is, well, I'm going to go to college. Well, what are you going to study? I, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And you change majors one or two times. Man, that's $25,000 to change. Yeah. And... Um, Uh, The thing that just really has been bugging me is looking at the anxiety and suicide rates and then looking at the college debt. There is a correlation. I mean, maybe it's, yeah, I couldn't testify in court that this is the thing, but it's, it's, it's real. Just like the number one cause of divorce is money. I think that the number one, well, I, again, here I am pontificating. I think that a contributor to the spike in anxiety at yeah. least, let's call it that, is the I can't ever get out of this debt because I can't declare bankruptcy on it. I studied uh, a major that in an industry that doesn't exist anymore. That's a yeah. that's a problem. It's definitely a variable. I mean, it's interesting, you know, just to share like you know a cool perspective around. You know, I'm a rabbi. I'm part of an you know ultra orthodox Jewish community, and what's really big 
in in the Jewish community is something called a gap year. And we have it like in the world. I mean, it's not like a, it's not a yeah. specific to the Jewish schools, but they take the gap year super serious. Yeah. And they spend a year after graduating high school going to you know different parts around the world and sitting and learning and connecting with people and figuring out who they are. Yeah. And then they do go to university. Many of them do. Many yeah. of them do. And it's it's a moment that I think so many would benefit it, of. Yes. Take the year, and I know, I know it's trending, it is picking up, but it was just an interesting observation to see how serious certain Jewish communities are about this, that like you are doing that. It's not an option, because you have to kind of figure out who you are outside of this you know, scripted journey yeah. of education. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I hope more people kind of take that seriously looking forward because it is it, it's it's not a disappointment because just hitting home my daughter who has a great gpa three nine when she tells people like oh what do you where are you going next year she's like i don't think that i am i think i'm gonna take at least a year oh oh and you can hear that like that oh maybe your dad's not doing so well or oh maybe your grades are and she's like <laughs> so the societal like oh it's too bad is is you know bugs yeah. her but yeah she'll get through she'll get through well, Michael, other than your friendship, uh, I value the good fight. Uh, I, I appreciate you. And um, it's just, it's been fun um, to see the joy in what you're doing um, because I, I feel it and, and, it, and it radiates. Uh, I'm extremely uh, happy for, for all the things that are starting to become and will become. And uh, gosh, I, like for anybody listening to this, follow the guy. Um, it's all, it, one, his generosity is there, but two, his journey is transparent. So highly recommend you look out. And speaking of which, people want to check out all your stuff, give links, go. So because I have a design and, and branding background, so everything is the techrabbi.com every social media stream, even ones you've never heard of yet because they failed to hit you know, mainstream. Like I'm the tech rabbi everywhere. And I just, you know, I want to thank you. We've, uh, we've had a cool journey and some cool collaborations and I'm you know, honored to be a guest on a podcast that is in my deck of you know, weekly listening. And anyone who's, who wants to collaborate, you know, tech rabbi, say hi, ask a question, push back, and let's get better together. All right, well, Michael, Appreciate you being on, man. Thank you. All right, there you go. Michael Cohen, a.k.a. The Tech Rabbi. You heard the man. You know where all the links are. You know where to find everything, so go check it out. We get to talk to, to people like Michael Cohen, one, because you guys are introducing us to people like him, and number two, the phenomenal growth of the podcast is because of the Twitter shares, the Facebook shares, the LinkedIn shares, especially LinkedIn here lately. Man, LinkedIn's uh, been helpful to us. So, uh, you want to be our friend, help us uh, share it. Also, giving a review on iTunes or a star rating is always helpful as well. This is Don Wetstrick reminding you, this opportunity is everywhere. We'll see you.